my friend and your friend, Bishop Corder. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thanks so much. You're so kind. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, man, what a privilege to be here today. You know, um, Brother Weaver told you I had the opportunity to serve in four different states uh, as administrative bishop, overseer, whatever you call it. And um, uh, Tennessee is my home state. That's why I served most recently till I tenured out. You can only do that for so long, and then they find some place to put you. And so... Uh, but of all the places I've been, had the privilege to serve, Wichita is my favorite city to live in, and uh, these were great people to follow. I don't have his gifts, but uh, they are great people. You know that, and you are my friend, and I'm glad you're here today. Thank you for uh, your gracious introduction. Uh, I'm a Tennessean by birth, but I tell people, and. My, my concern is that they do all this Facebook Live, and so I don't know where this is going to go. But my wife and I independently were asked one day, of all the places you've served, I've been in five state offices, where is your favorite? And I said, Virginia. Okay, so don't tell anybody that. But, uh, and she said the same thing. And uh, what a privilege. You know, it's a wonderful thing. It's a very biblical thing that you take the time to honor your pastor and his family. And here's what I know. God honors a church that honors the pastor. And so blessings are going to continue to come your way because you take the time. Now, for pastors, having been a pastor for 20 years, for pastors, it's wonderfully awkward these kinds of days, but uh, very, very significant. I'm going to take just a moment before I preach. Uh, your pastor is my friend, having been his bishop previously. Uh, I wanted to give him something today. And when I was the overseer of Tennessee, my second term there, I, 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 the Lord just kind of, and I'm not trying to spiritualize it, but the Lord just kind of led me to do something unique. I purchased for every pastor in Tennessee a very special bottle of anointing oil. The, the bottle itself is fashioned after bottles they have discovered in archaeological digs in Israel. The oil in the bottle... Uh, is um, produced in Israel, and I bought almost four, I bought 400 of those. They're quite expensive. And here's why the Lord led me to do that, and I'll, I'll share that with you because it applies today. I gave it to all the pastors in Tennessee because I wanted it to be a visible, simple reminder of this anointing oil, that they have been anointed for their ministry, for their assignment. And that anointing means a lot of things, but practically that anointing means two things, Pastor Jones. That means uh, because you're anointed, you're going to accomplish your assignment. That anointing also represents that the anointing on you is greater than any spiritual attack against you. So I gave it to the pastors there, and I'm going to give it to your pastor who's my friend today just to commemorate this special occasion and just as a simple visual reminder um, that when you use this anointing oil, and some pastors use it in the service, some put it in their office, and when they pray for people there, when they, when they anoint people, just as the Holy Spirit would remind them, they've been anointed. And how many know the anointing really does make a difference? And when you anoint someone, you place your hand upon them. I want it to be a reminder, Pastor, that the good hand of God is upon you. So as a token of my appreciation to commemorate this occasion and just to 
simply encourage and remind you, I want to give you this bottle of anointing oil today as my gift to you, Pastor. Bless you, Master. Amen. He's been anointed for his assignment that guarantees he can accomplish it. He's been anointed for this, this time. That means no weapon formed against him shall prosper. And I'm telling you, it's good news when you've got an anointed man of God to lead you in ministry. And so I celebrate you and Sandra today and Ben, and it's my privilege to be here. I'm going to preach a, a message that you probably wouldn't hear on Pastor Appreciation Day. But I don't know. When I pray, uh, I was in chapel in Cleveland. And uh, as I sat there in that chapel, I've been thinking about what to preach. Uh, something was said that day in that chapel service that I took as a direction of the Lord for our time together this morning. So I'm going to preach from Matthew chapter 8, if you'll take your Bible. It's a little bit different message for a Pastor Appreciation Day, but here's what I know. God knows what you need to hear instead of what I want to preach. Amen. Matthew chapter 8, it's a very familiar story. It's a story of Jesus calming a storm. And it begins in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 8. And here's what the Bible says. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. Now watch this. But Jesus was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So when the, the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? And I want to talk to you about surviving the storms of life. Before we pray, here's what I know about every one of us here. We're either in the midst of a storm just come out of a storm or just about to go into a storm storms are a part of living in this world but there's principles here in this in this story that I believe the Lord wants me to share with you today and I want you to come in agreement prayer today of two things that the Holy Spirit will help me to speak the Word of God in a way that the will of the Father can be accomplished and would you ask the Holy Spirit to help you and I to receive his word today and let it speak and apply to our life. Let's agree for those two things. Father, thank you this morning for this wonderful church. Pastor Jones and for Sandra and Ben. Thank you, Lord, that they would take the occasion to honor the man of God. You said that pastors are your gift to your church. We recognize that today and we bless them. Now we come into agreement prayer. Your, the worship has just set a wonderful atmosphere of focus and receptivity. But we agree now in prayer, Holy Spirit, to help me to preach, help this congregation to receive the word, that the work and will of the Father might be accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever you see a miracle in the scripture, here's what I want to tell you, and uh, thanks, Brother Tony, y'all did great today. I don't have any rhythm or any musical gift but when I get in this kind of atmosphere, it makes me want to sing and clap, and I have a hard time clapping on beat and certainly can't sing, but that's how good you are. 
Every time you see a miracle in Scripture, every miracle has a message. And the message of the miracle is more important than the miracle itself. The miracle is for the moment, but the message is for all time. And I want to take some time this morning to share with you some messages from this miracle. I want to also remind you that every storm that you and I go through is a school that we can learn from. Every trial is a teacher that God wants to instruct something into our life. Before I get into the heart of this text in Matthew 8, let me just kind of give you some simple facts about storms. Number one, storms are inevitable. It's part of living in a fallen world. James didn't say if you face trials or storms, but when you face them. Here's the truth. We all face storms, every one of us. You and I will never be so spiritual that we'll never face a storm. Second of all, storms are variable. That means there's all kinds of storms. Sometimes there's what I call situational storms where the external circumstances of our life seem to come against us. It's like a Murphy's Law kind of thing. You feel like if it can go wrong, it has gone wrong or is going wrong. Some of you right now, you're in a storm and you feel like everything that can go wrong is going wrong. Or there are those situational storms. Sometimes there's relational storms. And relationships are a primary place that the enemy attacks the believer. And the reason why is because ministry is done on the basis of relationship. Matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul writes about spiritual warfare, he reminds us that our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual warfare because sometimes the warfare comes through people, through relationships, and sometimes what the enemy does is he give, we experience relational storms. Some of you right now this morning may be in a relational storm. You're, you're having difficulty in your marriage with your spouse. You're having difficulty with your children. You're having difficulty with another family member or a co-worker. And what that really is, it's a storm. Some of you are facing that kind of storm this morning. Some of you are facing what I call emotional storms where you're overwhelmed by your feelings. And it may be a feeling of depression or a fear, feeling of fear or a feeling of guilt. I don't know what it is, but, but you're facing that kind of storm. And there used to be a, a soap opera on television. I never watched it, by the way. Just heard about it. There used to be a soap opera on television called Secret Storm. Here's what I know. Christians sometimes are the greatest actors because on the outside, we look like everything is wonderful, but on the inside, we're battling a secret storm. And the truth is that secret storm can be so intense that sometimes we're like the disciples and we feel like, God, I'm not going to survive this. Well, listen to me. I've come by to tell somebody today, I don't know what kind of storm you're facing. I don't need to know. I don't have to know because God knows. And the word of the Lord to you is is this, you will survive the storm. Some of you are facing those kind of emotional storms. Some of you are just storms in your life, all right? They're, in, they're impartial. They're, they're variable. They're inevitable. And what I want you to know this morning is that one of the things that makes a storm a storm is they're unpredictable. In this passage here, they were on this boat going across the water, and the Bible says, suddenly, without warning, 
a furious storm arose. And one of the things that makes a storm a storm is that they just come unexpectedly. You know, and there's never a good time to have a storm, is there? They usually come at what seems to be and feels to be the worst time. What I want you to notice, two things. I want you to notice, first of all, the response of the disciples to the storm because the truth is I can identify with them because I'm human. They were so afraid in verse 24 and 25 that the disciples woke Jesus up, and here's what they said to him. Lord, save us. We're perishing. We're, we're going to drown. And these were, not, these were professional fishermen. These were people who had spent time on this lake. They knew this water very well. And they were so fearful, they thought they were going to die. As a matter of fact, the word for storm here in Matthew chapter 8 is the same word. We, 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 we get our word seismograph, and it means violently shaking. I mean, this wasn't just a, this wasn't just a, a, a simple little rain shower. This was a storm that was so intense that these professional fishermen, they thought they were going to die. They were filled with panic. Listen, not because they weren't in the will of God, not because uh, they uh, had done something wrong, but because they were human when the storm came, their initial response was panic. But look at Jesus now in verse 24. The Bible says about Jesus in the midst of this storm, but he was asleep. The disciples have panic. Jesus has peace. He has so much peace, as a matter of fact, he's asleep. Matter of fact, let me tell you this. Do you know what woke Jesus up? It wasn't the storm. It was the cry of the disciples in the storm. Now listen to me. The storm you're going through is not greater than the God you serve. <laughs> Man, I know that's simple, but I want you to hear that. The storm that you're going through, I don't care what kind of storm it is, the storm you're going through is not greater than the God that you serve. The storm you're going through does not change His sovereignty. His sovereignty is greater than your storm. As a matter of fact, here's what I'll tell you. Your security in the storm is His sovereignty. Did you hear that? Your security in the storm is His sovereignty. And the sovereignty of God means a lot of things, but very simply it means this. It means that God is in control. Now, one of the things that makes a storm a storm is not only is it unex unexpected, it's uncontrollable. We can't do very much about it, but I've come by to tell somebody today, your storm may be out of your control, but your storm is not out of His control. Your storm is not greater than his sovereignty and your security in any storm is when you recognize his sovereignty. God, I can't control this storm, but God, you can control the storm I'm in. God, this storm is greater than me, but this storm is not greater than you. Your security in any situation is when you recognize his sovereignty. Hallelujah. So the first thing I want to tell you is you're going to survive the storm. The second thing I want to tell you is your sovereign God is in control even in the midst of your storm. Well, that's wonderful, Bishop, but 
the truth is I'm like the disciples. I'm, I'm battling panic here. I'm, I'm dealing with fear, and I'll be honest with you. I believe what you're saying, but living this out is a challenge. I understand. I'd much rather preach the stuff I preach than practice the stuff I preach. Matter of fact, when I was pastoring, it seemed like everything I preached, I began to eventually live as I was preaching it, so I was very careful what I started preaching about. What I want to do is I want to give you three simple things. They're simple. They're so simple. Matter of fact, matter, matter of fact, they're so simple, if you're not careful, you'll disregard them. But now listen to this. The significance of these three things is their simplicity. Do you know that God speaks the most significantly when he speaks the most simply? So I want to give you three simple things how that you and I, in the midst of our storm, can experience peace instead of panic. Matter of fact, I believe this is so significant because it's biblically based. I believe this is so powerful. Not my preaching is powerful, but the truth of God's Word is powerful. I believe the truth of God's Word is so powerful if somehow, by faith, you and I can get a hold of this. Here's what's going to happen. You don't tell anybody, but the truth is you haven't been sleeping at night. You haven't been even, even able to eat well. You're tore up uh, physically. You're tore up mentally. You can't rest because of what's happening in your life. But I tell you, this truth is so powerful because it's God's truth that here's what I believe. The Holy Spirit knows how to personalize the Word of God to your life. It's almost like He's speaking directly to you. And if you and I will receive that Word today, here's what I know. You might have come in with panic, but you can leave this place with peace because the power of the truth of God's Word. Amen? Do you believe God's Word is that powerful? Three simple things. Number one, here's the first one. When you're going through a storm, you have to refocus on God's closeness. Verse 23, then Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. When the disciples were in the middle of the storm in the boat, they forgot that Jesus was on the boat too. Sometimes... We need just to refocus on the fact that Jesus is on the boat of our life. We forget sometimes that God is with us. Matter of fact, Isaiah prophesying about Jesus coming to the world from heaven. He said, you shall call his name Emmanuel, being interpreted, God is with us. Now, let me say this to you. I want to remind you, you know it. It sounds so simple. It almost sounds elementary. But I want to remind you this morning, God is with you. And you say, well, Bishop, I don't feel him. And I understand how, how important feelings are to Pentecostals. Because I are one. Matter of fact, here's what I know about us Pentecostals again, because I am one. We sometimes restrict the reality of God's nearness to us to our feelings. But the truth is, faith has nothing to do with how I feel. The truth is, the reality of the Word of God is not dependent upon what I feel. Matter of fact, when I was pastoring, I'd tell my church regularly, what you feel is not always real. And here's what I know. Sometimes you feel alone, but there's a difference between being feeling alone and being alone. You may feel alone, but I've come by to remind you this morning that you are not alone, that you have Emmanuel. He is God, and He's with you. And whatever storm that you're going through, if 
you put him into your life, he's in that storm with you. You just have to make up your mind to choose to refocus on his closeness. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 43. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Now listen. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. I've come by to remind you this morning that you're not alone. God is with you in the midst of your storm. You never go through a storm by yourself. Now, see, the truth is believers aren't exempt from storms, but we have the wonderful truth that we never go through a storm by ourselves. And I want to remind somebody today that God is close even in your storm. You have to refocus on his closeness. Matter of fact, I want you to get this this morning. If your memory's like mine, I tell people all the time, I've got a great memory. It's just short. You're laughing because you can relate. Yeah, Bishop, now I know how to tell people about my memory. Yeah, I don't want it to get a here. I want you to get it here. Do you know how you get the truth of God from here to here? By speaking it out here. So I want you to do something real simple with me. Because you see, you may not be a pastor, but you are a preacher. Sometimes we need to preach to ourselves. Sometimes we can't get to Pastor Jones or one of the pastoral staff, and we need to hear the word of the Lord. Well, why don't we learn to speak the word of the Lord that we've already heard? Because, you see, what makes it the word is not who shares it. What makes it the word is who gave it. So I want you to say this with me, because here's what I'm talking about. Confession is how you establish truth in your heart. So I want you to say this with me. In the midst of my storm, God is close. Are you ready? In the midst of my storm, God is close. What that means is when the enemy comes to you, when you leave this sanctuary and you're not in this corporate atmosphere of the anointing, when you get in your car or when you get back home, when the enemy attacks your mind, what you need to do is open your mouth and don't talk about what you see and don't talk about what you think and certainly don't talk about what you feel, but talk about what you believe. I believe the word that Bishop preached this morning. I believe in the midst of my storm. I might feel alone, but I'm not alone. I believe that in the midst of my storm, God is is close. Say that with me. God is close, and the power of the spoken word is greater than the power of the non-spoken word called thoughts. Now listen, when the enemy attacks your mind, open your mouth. Did you hear that? And what you say it's not what you feel, not what you see, not what you think, not what somebody's told you because everybody has an opinion about your storm, I promise you. You don't believe that? Look at the book of Job. His friends had an opinion about his storm. Well, the problem was his friends were wrong. Sometimes you can have people who love God and love you, but they're not, they're not God. They're not right. I probably have told you this, and... But one of the funniest illustrations of this is I've been married to my wife for 38 years. She gets automatic entrance into heaven for living with me that long. Do you believe in eternal security? No, but I've been married to him for 38 years. I'm going to heaven regardless. 
Well, I started pastoring before I got married. I would never advise it, but I've done it. Well, it didn't take me long, Pastor, when I was married, pastoring, starting a church up in Maine where it gets cold, 111 inches of snow my first year. I'm a Tennessean. Listen, snow is like this. That, that, no, that was snow. It didn't take me long to have a revelation. I needed a wife. <laughs> Does God speak to you? He spoke through me through 111 inches of snow. Listen, she hates it when I tell that because it sounds so unromantic. And it is unromantic, but it's true. <laughs> I was um, asked my wife to marry me, and um, she said yes. <laughs> I mean, no, God answers prayer. Matter of fact, the day I asked her, I was living in Maine. She was living in Tennessee. This doesn't have anything to do with my sermon. You'll just enjoy it. Um, I sent her flowers. I'm, listen, I'm poor. I'm a, I'm a church planner. I don't make any money. I mean, her father didn't want her to marry me because he didn't want her to marry a poor, starving preacher. Well, that offended me till I realized he was telling the truth. I was a poor, starving preacher. So I sent her flowers. I, I think I spent like $30, something about this big. She still kept the thing that come in. Well, the same day I sent her flowers, a guy sent her a dozen roses. She got the roses and me. It was a win-win as far as I was concerned. She said yes. But I'm waiting to get married now, and, and I'm planning the wedding and all that. And one day this happened. Now, I'm telling this story because I want you to hear this. One day this happened. Somebody called me and said, listen, I just want to call and tell you. God told me to tell you she's not the one. I'm not making this up. This is not preacher talk. This is real life. Next day, very next day, somebody else who loves Jesus and loves me called and said these exact words. The Lord want me to call and tell you that she's the one. <laughs> Don't you hate it when God changes his mind like that? Now, the reason I tell you that is, listen, because in, sometimes when you're in a storm, everybody's going to have an opinion about why you're there, what you ought to do while you're there. And listen, they love God and they love you, but they're not God. Now, you hear me. The word of the Lord to you is this. Every storm is a school. There's a reason that he's allowed this storm to call. To and I'm going to show you in a minute why he allowed the storm to come so the disciples would learn something about Jesus they didn't know. I'll tell you one of the primary reasons that he allows the storms. In the storm, he reveals who he really is and what kind of God he is and so but now be careful when you're going through a storm that somebody that loves Jesus and loves you doesn't try to give you all the answers about your storm what you need to, to know is that their words not important and even our word is not the most important while it is important it's not the most important what's the most important is his word and his word through this miracle says to us you'll survive the storm and when you go through the storm you need to refocus on God's closest you're not alone regardless of how you feel, what you feel is not always real. But what is always real, Jesus said it like this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Your storm is not greater than his sovereignty, and your storm is not greater than your God. you got to refocus on his closeness. And here's the second thing you have to do is you have to rely on his care. Not only is God close to us in a storm, but God cares about us in a storm. Now, this story is told in three of the four Gospels. In Mark 
chapter 4, the Gospel of Mark tells a story, and here's what it says in verse 38. The disciples, when they came to Jesus, they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Isn't that the typical response when we go through a storm? God, don't you care about me? Matter of fact, one of the first things the devil would do would tell you that if God cared about you, you wouldn't go through the storm. But the truth is, you and I know better than that. We know it's the very nature of God to care. That's why 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all of our care upon Him, for He cares for us. Now, here's what the disciples did. They may have been filled with panic. They may have been afraid they were going to die. But in the midst of the storm, they ultimately went to the right place. They went to Jesus because here's what they knew. They knew. They didn't fully understand, but they knew that He was God and that He cared about them. And they woke him up and said, Jesus, don't you care that we drown? Listen, he did care or they wouldn't have awoke him. Now watch this. Somebody this morning, what you've been battling is the enemy coming to you and saying in the midst of your storm, God doesn't care about you. But the truth is in Psalms 46 and 1, he says, God is a very present help in the time of trouble. Listen to me. God not only is close to you, but God cares about you. I'm going to tell a story from my time in Kansas since my friend's here this morning. I only got one, so I'm going to tell it every time I get a chance. I'm the overseer of Kansas. It's a small state. Money's always an issue, you know. As a matter of fact, I've discovered that no matter what size ministry you got, money's always an issue. But I'm sitting in a restaurant. I think I've told you this before. I'm sitting in a restaurant in a place I've never been, in a city I've never been with, with a friend of mine. We weren't dressed in Sunday clothes. We were just having lunch. We weren't talking as my wife says, God talk. We were just talking. And this guy comes up to the table and he says, excuse me, sir. Didn't look at my friend, looked right at me and said, excuse me, sir. God told me to tell you, don't worry about the money. Now, when you get a word from God, two things always happen. Number one, a word from all, God always is, an, is, a, is a witness with your spirit. His spirit will speak to your spirit if it's a word from him. Number two, a word from God always produces faith. I'm telling you, there was such a witness of the Holy Spirit. My friend, who's quite a smart fellow, who's an educated fellow, right there in, far, in that restaurant started speaking in tongues. It was a little embarrassing. But I mean, the witness of the Holy Spirit was that strong, and I didn't know what it meant, but I knew God was going to do something. Well, listen, 24 hours, I met a man I'd never met before, and he said, tell me about your ministry. Well, my human tendency was to tell him about my need, but the Lord spoke to me and stopped me real quick, and he said, tell, tell him about your vision. Well, I told him about what I wanted to do, and here's what he asked me. He said, how much will it take to do that? And I said, about $65,000, and he said, what would you do if I gave you $100,000? So less than 24 hours from when that guy comes to my table in that restaurant, I meet this man, and he gives me a check. I quit. I carried it for a long time, my billfold, until it got worn out. Now I put it up where I will never lose it because it's a reminder of me. Listen, and here's what he said to me when he gave me that $100,000 that day. He didn't give it to me. He gave it to the Church of God in Kansas. So here's what he did. He said, listen, he said, Bishop, I want to tell you something, or maybe brother or pastor or something. He said, I want to tell you something. God's always got a way, and God's always got somebody, and God really does care about where you are and what you're 
you're facing and what you need. I just want to remind you that. Listen, I don't know if you're going to go home sometime this week or go out to eat. Somebody's going to come to your table and then you're going to have that same experience. I've been back to that restaurant many times, Brother Jones, waiting on that guy to reappear. He's never come back. Here's what I know about God. We have the same kind of need, but he very seldom solves the problem the same kind of way. But here's what I know. I don't know if you'll be at a restaurant and somebody will come up to you and give you a word the Lord. I don't know what will happen or how to happen, but here's what I know. I've come by to tell you when you're in the midst of the storm, not only is God close, but God really does care about you. And what you need to do is you need to remind yourself of what God has done in the past. And that same God that has kept you in the past will keep you in the present and keep you in the, in the future because he does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow and the God that brought you thus far is not going to leave you now in the midst of your storm you've got to rely on God's care say this with me God is close and God cares here's the third thing not only is he close not only does he care you've got to recognize he's in control if you're not going to experience peace and not panic in the midst of the storm, we've got to recognize God's in control. In Mark's gospel, verse 40, 39, when he's telling this story, here's what he said. Talking about Jesus. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And look what happened. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. When you read that in... The scripture, King James or New King James, he says, Jesus got up and said, peace be still. That doesn't really give you the full impact of it. A literal translation of when Jesus said, peace be still, a literal translation would be this. Jesus got up and spoke these words to the wind and to the waves. Sit down and shut up. That's the literal translation of those words when Jesus got up that day in the authority of who he is as God. Man, Man I tell you, I just sense the Holy Spirit right here. I'm telling you, if you'll go to him in the midst of your storm, he will speak to your storm and he will demonstrate his control and when you're going through a storm you've got to recognize just because you're out of it's out of your control it's not out of his control nothing listen nothing is out of his control because he's god Sometimes we live like functional atheists. You know what? And the people that speak into our lives sometimes, they, they act like they're atheists. I've come by to remind you, not only is there a God, He's your God. And not only is He your God, He's the God that's always in control, 
Even when you're not in control. As a matter of fact, sometimes God's let uncontrollable things happen to help us to understand how much out of control we are. But then he reveals himself to let us know how much in control he is. Why did God allow this storm, Bishop? He wanted them to see that he was a sovereign God who was in control. Even when they're out of control, he's in control. I've come by again one more time to tell you one of the reasons God lets storms come by is to remind us that we're not God, we're not in control, but he's God, he's always in control, and you've got to recognize that God is in control. I want you to say this out loud with me. Listen, this is so simple, but you got to, I want you to say it. I want you to say, God is in control, but before you do, I want you to think about the storm that you're in. It might be a physical storm. You might be battling something physically. It might be a financial storm. It might be a relational storm. It might be an emotional storm. It might be a vocational storm. Whatever that storm is, I want you to think about it, but then I want you to speak to yourself, and I want you to speak to, to your storm in the authority of the name of Jesus, and I want you to declare right now, God, in the midst of my storm, you are in control. Control. Are you ready? Think about what the storm is now. Let's say it together. God is in control. I'm watching my time because we got some other stuff to do. But if I had time, I'd come to every one of you and I'd just say to you, I don't know what your storm is. I don't have to know. I don't need to know. I don't want to know. But I want you to understand that in the midst of your storm, he's still God. He's still in control. One of the reasons he allows the storm to come is to remind us how much not in control we are, but how much in control he is. As a matter of fact, I want to speak to somebody right now that is so fearful because of what's happening in America, in the world. It looks like this world is is gone crazy and, and it's out of control and there's chaos everywhere. I want to tell you all of that may be true, but politicians aren't in charge. Republicans or Democrats or independents. I want to remind you that God is the Lord of heaven and of earth and God is in control and I want you to understand he's got a plan, he's got a purpose and he's got the power because he is God. Say it one more time. God is in control. And you can't be filled with panic when you understand that God is in control. Now watch this. Two miracles happen. Go ahead and come play it. I'm going to stop. Two miracles happen, maybe. Uh, two miracles happen when he spoke. I promise I am. The wind ceased, but the second miracle, if you're a fisherman, you've been on water, you know most of the time it takes a while for the waves to kind of subside. But immediately the wind stopped and the lake got calm. And the disciples, in response to this manifestation of his power, said, who can this be? that even the winds and the sea obey him. You see, that was the issue. The issue wasn't the storm. The issue, they wanted him, they want, he wanted them to know him, who he really was. 
I've been through some physical storms. I don't just know him theologically. He's Jehovah Rapha. I know him personally. He's the God in control physically. He's the healer. Matter of fact, just stand with me all over the church. Go ahead and stand. Like you, I've had some storms financially. I don't know just in theory or just as a theological truth that he's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who's our source and resource. I know that experientially. You see, the issue here was Jesus, when they woke him up, he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Oh, you little faith. He allowed the storm so that, listen, so they would get a revelation of who he really was. If you'll keep your focus, if you'll rely on his care, and you'll recognize his control, I promise you, I don't know when or how, but I promise you, the same God that spoke to the storm that day and it calmed, that same God will speak to the storm you're in. Do you sense his presence today? Before we do anything else, would you lift your voice? If you feel comfortable, lift your hand and just begin to give him praise. Acknowledge he is God. He is a sovereign God who is in control. Lord, I bless you today. I bless you today, and I thank you in Jesus' mighty name. I can't rush this. we got a little time here, but just take a moment. Americans spend $3 billion a year on sleep aids. I'm telling you, there's something better than a sleep aid from a pharmacy. There's a word from a sovereign, almighty God. But he responds with his word to our word. I'm going to make these three simple declarations with me. Just say, God is close, God cares, and he's in control. God's close, God cares, and God's in control. God's close, God cares, and God's in control. And, and I'm not trying to be simplest, simplistic or spiritual or dramatic, but I believe for some of you, and when you, as you declare that as a statement of faith, God's going to hear your word and he's going to release his power into your life. The storm may not be solved today, but the peace will come today that will sustain you till the solution comes. I want you to make that declaration with me. God, you're close. God, you care. God, you're in control. Are you ready? God, you're close. God, you care. And God, you're in control. One more time. God, you're close. In spite of what I feel, my feelings are not always truthful. You're close. You said you'd never leave me nor forsake me. You're close. But not only are you close, you really do care about me. Matter of fact, you'll orchestrate storms to show me something about you I'd know no other way. He cares about you. But not only does he care, he's in control. Even when you're not in control, he's in control. Say it one more time. God, you're close, you're care, and you're in control. You ready? God, you're close, you care, and you're in control.
trying to figure out a way to do this without taking a lot of time, so here's how I'm going to do it. I don't need to know your storm. I don't have to know your storm. What might be a storm for you might not be a storm for me, but that's irrelevant. But how many say, Bishop, here I'm today, and truthfully is not everybody knows it, but I'm, I am in a storm in my life. I want you just to lift your hand. Just hold it for just a moment. Hold it up just for a moment. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to tell anybody what it is. I want you to hold your hand just for a moment, though, because I want to do something. Your risen, your raised hand is a confirmation that on Pastor Appreciation Day in Pulaski, Virginia, God says this works for you. And I won't use it with your hand lifted up. I want to speak that Jehovah Shalom, the God who is peace, as I speak this word of peace you just begin to declare acknowledge who God is and declare that as I speak this over you and here's what's going to happen your word and his word is going to come into agreement and his peace is going to flood you I don't know how he's going to do it, when he's going to do it, but I promise you, listen, God is going to bring you through your storm, and he's going to reveal himself to you. And you're going to move from having a theology in your head to a truth in your heart that when you tell it out of your mouth, it's going to be a living witness and testimony. Now, Father, you know the hands that are raised, and you know what they represent. I don't know all the storms that your people are going through right now. But God, before I speak to that, I speak to who you are. You are a sovereign God. <laughs> I declare today that you are God and that you are close. And I declare today, God, that you care about these people whose hands are raised. And I declare today, God, that you're in control even when we're not. And on the basis of that declaration of faith founded upon the word of the Lord, I speak now that you would manifest yourself as Jehovah God. I declare and I pray, Father, that by the power of God you would move on their behalf and right now that the peace of God as Jehovah Shalom would begin to break free from fear and panic. I speak, Lord, that you are God, Jehovah, Shalom, the God of all peace. And I declare that in their life and over them today, and I thank you for it right now in Jesus' mighty name. <sighs> if you feel comfortable, I want you just to lay your hand on somebody next to you, and I want you just to begin to pray that the sovereign God of, of heaven would speak his peace to their life all over this church. We're going to lay hands one another right now. Just begin to pray. And God, as they pray one for another, we do so as a demonstration of faith. You are close. You care. You're in control. And I thank you for your peace. In the mighty name of Jesus. just a moment Brother Myers is going to come and lead you through the rest of the service but one last time now lift your voice, lift your hands and declare he's your God honor who he is 
Lord, I, do, I worship you today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your peace. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Can you give the Lord praise as Brother Myers comes? Lord, we bless you today.